welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Welcome. I am Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. This segment is brought to you by RealCrowd. For professional crowdfunding, check out RealCrowd.com. Well, today we're going to talk about the U.S. office market. You know, the office market has been uh, interesting. A lot of changes in how companies are using office space. There seems to have been a lot of demand for buying office properties. Well, let's talk to an expert. Please welcome Jim Costello. Jim is Senior VP with RC Analytics, and he's joining us uh, on Skype from New York. Jim, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me here. Well, let's talk about the office investment market. Uh, has it cooled down? Has it heated up? What are investors uh, doing in the office investment world? Cooling is a better word to describe it. You know, even though we're into the heat of summer, the deal volume has been falling. But when you talk about the office market, it, it, right now more than ever, there's much more of a segmentation of the office markets. What we talk about for, say, CBD office markets and the expense of tall towers, trends there are different than what's happening in the suburban world. For the year to date, you're down 25% uh, uh, from last year uh, for deal volume in the CBD locations only about 9% in the suburban locations. And so there's a couple things driving this. Number one, the declines overall, it's not like 08, 09. I mean, a decline in volume is not necessarily the end of the world. This is just the market reacting to be in a more normal period of deal flow. But it is the case that that's not as extreme in the suburban locations. And I think part of that there is that there's a better yield opportunity. You know, the CBD locations, a lot of them are priced to perfection. And we're also seeing that in just broader price trends with uh, office prices for CBD locations overall down uh, a third of a percent on a year-over-year -year basis versus suburban office assets. Prices are up uh, about an eight and a half percent year-over-year. So there's a bit of divergence in these two markets. Well, that's interesting. So but even with the price increase in the suburban assets, they're still providing a, a better yield. They are. They are. You know, it's just structurally, you know, the cap rates are higher in suburban locations. And you know, with that, uh, and given where things have been, the capital continues to flow at a, at a, a slightly better pace into suburban locations, uh, you know, chasing that higher yield. Yeah. And you mentioned cap rates. What are you seeing for trends on cap rates now? Yeah, it, it's funny. A lot of folks have been asking me, so have cap rates gone up yet? Have cap rates gone up yet? Yeah. Uh, almost as if they're hoping that <laughs> you know, with the interest rate uh, changes we've seen, uh, the cap rates are suddenly going to shoot up. And there's been a little bit of a creep up. Uh, CBD cap rates are up maybe 20 basis points in the last year, uh, pretty much flat for suburban. But there's it's a challenge because, yes, the 10-year Treasury uh, has uh, increased sharply this year. And you know the, the mental calculus a lot of folks do is they think, well, if Treasuries have gone up 50 basis points, then I have to add 50 basis points on top of the cap rates. But there's not a one-to-one -one relationship in these uh, uh, instruments. You know, the, the simple fact is the inflation expectations that are driving growth in uh, the 10-year Treasury now, that can help the property market, too. Inflation comes with growth. Growth means more tenants looking for space, uh, tighter occupancy, and rent growth. And all that will help to 
lift property income and increase the value of the, of the assets. So it's not going to be a one-to-one -one increase between cap rates and the 10-year treasury. We're at a point, though, you know, where you know, the 10-year treasury, it's been kind of around the 3% level for a bit. If it goes higher, I think we're going to start getting to a range where there's not as much room for that spread to narrow between uh, treasuries and cap rates, and you'll start to see a little bit more of an increase in cap rates. That's the other reason why deal volume is down, because buyers are, you know, they're really sensitive to this issue. They don't want to be that person that paid the absolute lowest cap rate in the market uh, before everything turned. <laughs> and that's why they keep asking you. Right. right. <laughs> so the anticipated improved market conditions with more tenant demand is really, uh, and potentially higher uh, NOI, is really offsetting uh, the increase in, in interest rates and, and not impacting cap rates much yet. Yeah, well, some. It will impact it some. And back in the envelope, I've been telling folks that I think that you know, for interest rates, if the 10-year Treasury goes up, say, an additional 100 basis points, that might translate eventually to a 50 basis point increase in cap rates. It, you know, it's not a one-to-one -one relationship because you get some benefit from the things that drive the inflation expectations uh, that are pushing up the 10-year Treasury. Uh, that, that will help property in the end. Yeah, and even if you do have a, some increase in cap rate, uh, maybe you have an offsetting increase in NOI anyway, so your asset remains stable in, in its value. So what do you expect moving forward, Jim? I mean, if interest rates are, you expect them to continue to rise, and what would you expect cap rates to be in a couple of years? Yeah, if, if I knew exactly where interest rates would be going, I'd be very, very wealthy. Mm -hmm. The the, the, the next couple of years, though, I think that the, the decline we've seen in deal volume, that's something that for a lot of market participants I talk to, this is something new. Uh, you know, frankly, a lot of folks I've been dealing with recently, you know, the last downturn they dealt with was the first downturn they had dealt with. Uh, and a lot of folks in the industry haven't had the experience of going through the kind of slow downturn we went through in 2001 after the internet bust, and then also the... Uh, late 80s, early 90s, it's harder and harder to find folks who work through that cycle as well. So we're in a period where deal volume's falling, but it's not uh, collapsing. And I think this is just a period where we're kind of retrenching to a more normal pace of, of turnover and assets, kind of time to life cycles of funds. 2015, in that period running into it, that was a tremendous period of growth where the office market was a screaming buy opportunity given the yield opportunities in place. And as deal volume is falling from those historic levels, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a function of buyers and sellers understanding that you know, the market is kind of priced more uh, competitively at this point. And Jim, where are you seeing the interest from debt and equity for the office sector today? I mean, are they are some, some debt and equity considering maybe office to watch out for office, or is it, is it rosy? Well, the, the sources of capital on both the uh, 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 equity side and the debt side of the capital stack, on the, on the equity side of the capital stack, you do see a lot of private capital involved today. Uh, some of the big cross-border buyers who were active the other year have pulled back, the Chinese notably. Uh, although there, there is some activity from Chinese investors still at a more reserved pace, and there's a few examples 
uh, in other property sectors where they've done deals in, in the year. Uh, but it's not like it was in 2015, 2016, uh, early, when you know, they were paying top dollar for a lot of uh, uh, CBD office assets in the New York area. Uh, but you know th that that kind of uh, change on the equity side it, it cools the the market a little bit. On on the debt side, you know it, it's you know, it's a very competitive lending market. There's a, a wide variety of capital sources active in the in the debt portion of the capital stack. The one segment that I think that people are a little concerned about are are, are the so-called debt funds. And you know, one of the issues there is that the debt funds have uh, uh, you know, some have uh, lines of credit from major banks. Others, you know, are just kind of lending off of equity that they've raised, and it's kind of opaque. There's not as much uh, information about you know, where the capital is coming from, and the regulators I talk to in particular are always worried about that because if you can't see it, you can't manage it, and that's that's the the thing that they get concerned about because they've been coming in with a much more competitive. Uh, uh, debt in terms of providing higher LTVs, and uh, they've been making uh, a lot of inroads on the construction side of lending in particular. We're talking with Jim Costello, Senior VP with RC Analytics, uh, about the office market. So, Jim, what should office owners and investors think about today? You know, what makes them nervous or excited, or, or what should they think about? You know, the things that make them nervous are are you know the health of the cities that they're looking at, and the locations. Uh, you know, do they want to chase the millennials and you know, find office space that they think that those tenants are going to want to occupy over the next uh, 20 years? If they, if they do that, you know, do those people pick up and move? Because you know, they don't quite know, you know where that uh, uh, labor force is going. Those kind of issues have uh, generated some concern. Uh, finding good yield opportunities continues to be uh, always on everybody's mind. And there's a little bit of concern in a few markets about construction. You know, there's a handful of markets that have seen some major towers go up. And uh, that's got uh, uh, you know, some people cautious. You know, obviously, it's nothing like the late 80s, early 90s type construction. But in a few pockets, uh, there are concerns about what's been happening. And any concerns um, about tenants using less square footage per employer or, or, or any changes in kind of how tenants use space bothering office investors today? You know, the, 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 the one thing that I've seen recently that people talk about uh, in terms of, I mean, this has been a topic of discussion my whole career uh, of reducing uh, the use of office, office space by uh, more, uh, more technology instead and co-working and, and everything. But actually, the co-working phenomenon of late, that's been uh, particularly interesting, thinking about the end of uh, the type of sublease market that used to exist. If you were a startup in the past, you could get a sublease for six months. You still can, uh, but the the you know the option of going to a WeWork and having that uh, co-working type location uh, it provides a certain level of flexibility that wasn't there before, and I think that's that's uh, eliminating. Uh, the optionality for tenants to kind of unload space and uh, that, that creates uh, a slightly different dynamic uh, for property income. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting aspect to think about. Well, what's positive for office owners? I would think the robust economy and uh, full employment. Uh, are office investors excited about that? 
But yeah, full employment is is obviously good in terms of uh, you know, being able to have uh, properties filled. Uh, frankly, I think one challenge with that is you know, generating growth. Uh, how can you add more workers? You can't find the workers. You can't fill the space, and that's a problem in some cities recently uh, with uh, workers. Uh, uh, finding the cost of living to be too high. I mean, look at Silicon Valley, where uh, I think everybody's seen the pictures of uh, the camps where Google engineers are living in RVs. Uh, you know, if I'm looking at uh, office space in Silicon Valley, and I know that you know some of the highly paid workers can't live there, it makes me wonder if I you know have to think about alternative locations as well, where you know the workers may start to migrate because of a better work-life balance. Yeah, and uh, HQ2, so you know, where are they going to end up? You have that in your crystal ball? You, have, you probably know that there in your office in New York. Well, I, I tell you, my money is, uh, is, is on uh, Northern Virginia. And, and as I say that, uh, I don't actually have any money on it. I haven't placed <laughs> any bets on it. Uh, but it, uh, I think you know, Northern Virginia, uh, there's a couple reasons for that. There's a, a classic study uh, 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 by a, 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 a fellow named White uh, who, who had done uh, some work looking at corporate location issues. One of the key factors, the two key factors they identified was where it does the CEO play golf and where's the CEO's home. And those two <laughs> would determine where the uh, corporate headquarter would be located. And the, you know, the home that Jeff Bezos has been building in D.C., kind of renovating two homes in the same neighborhood where the Obamas are renting right now, and building a lot of luxury amenities into this building, uh, that's, a, that's a telling indicator, his connection to the Washington Post. And, but then also the politics of it, because if he uh, you know, locates this in the uh, D.C. and Maryland area, suddenly you've got tens of thousands of workers tied to Amazon and uh, four senators that with uh, uh, connections to Amazon as a result. And you know, the politics of... Uh, operating in D.C. and being able to navigate the regulatory waters, that might help them more. Yeah. Well, I laughed when you said that about the uh, CEO, uh, you know, because we used to say that years ago. I've been in the business for a long time. That we do all these analytics and then the uh, ends up going to the, the office building that's closest to the CEO's house. But uh, obviously that's went out the window and, and people are really concerned about recruiting and retention and productivity and really do uh, uh, think about their their customers and, and their employees. I think a lot more than they did, you know, ten or even, or especially twenty years ago. Well, what would you leave our audience with, Jim, today, related to the office investment world? Yeah, the the thing I, I I've been leaving folks with. I touched on this a little bit. Deal volume is down, but the sky's not falling. It's just an adjustment back to a more normal period, where for every deal. Buyers and sellers are going in with cautious expectations. We had a very high period of uh, deal volume growth when it was a screaming buy opportunity to get into the office market given the high yields and the low rates of return on bond instruments. You know, that opportunity has been narrowed, but there's still an opportunity. It's just something more like what was a normal opportunity where buyers and sellers are always just a little bit further apart. So it's a harder world for a lot of folks, folks to uh, operate in, but it makes uh, uh, brokerage activity more valuable at this time. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, Jim, great information as usual. Thank you for joining us. 
Thank you. If you like more information from Jim on the office market, uh, check out RC Analytics. And stay with us. We'll have more on the U.S. office market after this quick break. I'm Michael Ball. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit realcrowd.com. Choose between core, core plus, value add, or opportunistic. Visit realcrowd.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Are you looking for proven property management and facilities management education? Visit BOMI.org. That's B-O-M-I, Building Owners and Managers Institute International. They are the trusted source for education in the property and facilities industry. Visit BOMI.org. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. The excitement is brought to you by BOMI, B-O-M-I.org. They are the industry standard for education related to facilities and property management. Do check them out. Today we're talking about office, and I want to talk some more about office use. Whether you run a company, you work somewhere, you lead a business, or you own office space, you're a vendor in the business, We've seen a lot of changes in the office environment and continually seeing them evolve. Please welcome our next guest, an expert in the subject, Dave Madsen. He's a principal with CBT. He's joining us on Skype. Dave, Dave thanks for being with us. I'm glad to be here, Michael. Thanks for having me. Well, Dave, I've got to say automatically, that, man, you're a big reader because your shelves are empty behind you. <laughs> You have read I've them, read them all. all, so I, I gave them on to the next person. <laughs> I understand you're in a guest office of one of your clients today. So that's right. That's right. Well, that's that's excellent. Well, CBT, you guys do architecture design work. You've done work all over the country, and you've only been around your company for 50 years. So you know, people, hey, are you really going to make it? You know. <laughs> Fingers are crossed. <laughs> there you go. Well, let's talk about uh, some ideas involving office space and, and how we can all benefit from design today as things have, have really matured and, and seem to be evolving. My first question is culture. I think a lot of the, the companies that we represent looking for space in our market around Atlanta are really concerned about the culture for very reason. How can the space design help with that? Yeah, for sure. I think this is something that so many of our clients nationally and globally struggle with is that their new space um, that they may be moving into uh, really reflects uh, who they are and isn't just a, a generic office space um, that anyone could be in. And I think that's something that we're hearing more and more and there's so much more respect um, from the top down to, to really listen to a company's employees and understand um, that in order for a company to be successful today, it has to be a, a complete team effort. So what we tend to do at CBT is, is do a real deep dive at the beginning of a project um, once we are starting to work with a, a new client and, and really try to get to the essence of, and core and kernel of what that culture is or aspirationally wants to be 
uh, we do what's called a vision lab where we will meet with a complete cross-section of an office, um, top to bottom, young to old, uh, sort of uh, new way of working to old school way of working. And the, the idea being that if we get everyone into a room, uh, have them talk to each other, acknowledge that perhaps not everyone may work the same way, but they are all maybe pulling towards a common goal. Uh, and so our design then will, will spin off of things that we've heard during that vision lab and, and the goal being to, to create a space that uniquely uh, represents that culture of that firm because that's going to be what differentiates that firm from, from their competitors in this, this uh, culture of, of uh, competitive um, you know, hiring uh, yeah. that we see where there's this real war on talent. So. I think from our perspective, the space absolutely has to represent a culture of a firm. Yeah, and, and the culture is important, but also I guess the CEO and the CFO, everyone really wants productivity as well. So what do you see in there related to open space and non-open space? It seems like uh, that seems to be evolving. You know, what, what's the picture today? What do you see going on there? Yeah, I think there's been, and rightfully so, there's been, I feel, some some pushback from space is getting more and more open and uh, the landscape being, uh, you know, a wide open uh, sea of workbenches uh, with sort of no place to escape to. And I think um, there's been a lot of pushback from from those sort of worker bees that are that are really just trying to be productive in their, their daily work. And I think uh, there's been a real acknowledgement from leadership that perhaps not everyone works that they're best in that type of environment. And so we found that really having balance and other opportunities and flexibility within a space so that if you really need to focus on, a, on reading a document or, or studying um, uh, uh, something that you're gonna be uh, doing a deposition or something like that, you need a, a very quiet environment. And so whether that's a, a small you know, huddle room or a, a quiet seat next to a window where it's understood that uh, that there's no talking in that area, for example, like a quiet car on a train, um, those types of spaces will will uh, augment what what an open office uh, environment has. So to us, it's it's a system, an ecosystem of spaces. There might be an oasis uh, where it's it's uh, off in the corner, and and the understanding is that there's no talking in there. It might be a, a room there where several people are, but it's really not meant to for group uh, collaboration. Yeah. Um, likewise, uh, there still are many of our clients have some offices, certainly not as many offices there as there used to be. But I think the pendulum, to your point, is is swinging a little bit back from a, a very very open environment to something that has a little bit more balance and allows um, staff with different work styles to find the, the the space that might work best for them. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, war on talent, and you know unemployment has has really been improving, and, and companies are concerned about retention and recruiting. How far up the list is? recruiting and retention uh, on your clients list today and how are you going about achieving that? Yeah, I think certainly in 2018 uh, recruiting and retention is if it's not number one it's it's you know top three uh, for almost all of our clients. The, the goal of a space is to to wow somebody on a, on a potential tour uh, when they're coming in for an interview. Um, 
and honestly, for for new hires, those types of uh, spaces are typically more and more are the shared spaces. Um, so having uh, amenities in your space, having a, a, a large gathering space, a cafe space, uh, a game room, a, a nap room, those types of spaces are incredibly important for recruiting and retention so that um, they can leave that space knowing that, hey, this is a company that, that cares about my, my well-being. It, it's not just about I'm sitting at a desk all day you know, for eight, 10, 12 hours and, and uh, completing all of my tasks at that one location. I'm, I'm free to, to move around this space and, and enjoy all of the, the benefits that the space provides. Yeah, well, that's some, some good ideas, and I, I agree. I think it needs to be enticing for the people for recruiting and also just very comfortable and, and show that your space, that you really care about your employees, and, and I think that's a great one. And another way yeah. that companies are doing that today is, is with wellness. And, you know, you talk about the, uh, the, the, the idea of a bench and everybody's sitting very close together. I'm, I might be a little bit of... Uh, of uh, a germaphobe, but you know, I don't like the ideas of, of, of somebody sneezing or whatever, and, and people in a real close environment. Um, but wellness is a lot more than than uh, proximity to, to people together. What do you, what do you guys see, and how big is wellness to your clients today, and and, and what are you doing there? I, I, it's uh, incredible. In the last, honestly, the last three or four years, how much more awareness our clients have. Uh, have gotten regarding the idea of wellness in the workplace. I think, you know, just going back to the fact that we're, we're animals, we're not meant to be inside, uh, yet we spend 95% of our time indoors. So, so how do we, how do we counteract that um, from a wellness perspective? I think for us, first and foremost is, is access to natural light. So how do we push natural light as far into the space as possible? Uh, as far as, other aspects, I think we can we work with our clients to um, really encourage um, that that moving through the space uh, throughout the day. So you're not kind of very static and, and stable in your entire day. Ergonomic features, allowing uh, users that um, you know might want slight adjustments to the, their personal workspace or, or major adjustments like sit to stand desks. Um, or even reconfiguring their, their workspace to, to match how they work. Those types of things are incredibly important. Health and nutrition uh, work hand in hand. So cafes um, and, and food and drink op options are more and more uh, prevalent and, and important to provide that, those kind of varieties uh, that that's new employees are expecting these days, um, that it's not just junk food uh, in, in and Diet Coke, uh, it, it's really a, a variety of, of food and beverage options that are provided throughout the day, um, morning, noon, and night. Um, in case you know somebody's working long hours, they're able to to uh, be supported uh, and feel like they're they're eating nutritiously while they're at the office. Yeah, those well. types of things are are um, incremental, but but if you add them all up together, it it creates. Uh, sort of an ecosystem of, of wellness that uh, allow someone to feel uh, great about being indoors for the amount of time that they are. Yeah, and we care about wellness uh, as business leaders because we care about 
the people that work with us, but also it comes down to productivity, right? If people are, are out sick, it doesn't do well for them. Well, now there's a wellness certification, right? That people can get how many of your clients, when you tell them about the potential to get a wellness certification, are into that? How many people are wanting to do that or are doing it? Yeah, it, it's becoming um, it's becoming more and more a part of the discussion. Uh, what where something maybe a few five ten years ago it was all about lead and sort of uh, building energy efficiency and those types of things. Now the discussion is much more about the the human aspect of things and, and wellness. So whether it's uh, a space becoming FitWell certified or, or well certified, uh, those are discussions we are having almost with all of our clients at the early stages of you know uh, talking about goals and what's important to them to, to deliver to their staff. Uh, so it's, it's really become part of the discussion and it's something that many of our clients are already educated about and want to know more about. Yeah, I think it's fantastic, and I think it's going to continue to grow. I think it's it's extremely important. And if you just tuned in, we're talking to Dave Matson. He's a principal with CBT, it's an architecture and design firm. And no, that is not Dave. If you're watching the video, that is not Dave's desk with the empty bookshelves. <laughs> He's visiting a client's <laughs> office uh, that uh, they had a spare space for him to sit in New York. His main office is in Boston. So, Dave, what's what's new? What's coming down the road? What should we expect? seems like office space and design is is really evolving fast what's what's in our future yeah I think what we're seeing we're seeing a continuous push for the idea of sort of why even come into the office after after the the, the recession in 2008 uh, where where there were so many um, unemployed folks who were then turned into sort of single entrepreneurs that's just when smartphone technology was advancing to the point where you you almost could could work anywhere anytime and I think that has now infused itself back into the office so sure you can work literally anywhere anytime these days with with how um, incredible technology has come to to have a mobile office but I think what companies have or are discovering or have discovered is that in order to uh, be as productive and and support a, a strong culture, you really need to be in the office. Probably more than you're not in the office. There's there's been you know many co large companies that have tried the remote work for a while and then have, have come back to um, coming into the office. I think there is a stronger sense of place that it, that we're seeing more and more, and creating that strong culture within the office. Uh, is something we're seeing as we're moving into 2019, 2020 with our clients. I think also the idea of, of uh, connected buildings uh, and, and uh, tenants within buildings that are um, using the Internet of Things and devices uh, that are embedded, whether they're in their RFID cards or their phones or sensors in the space. I think we're seeing that more and more so that, um, you know, you can uh, self-report when something's too too cold or too hot, and the building can make the adjustment uh, right off the bat without having to go through a, a maintenance person in your in your firm. I think that level of connected connectedness is is what the expectation is, since we can all do it in our homes now. So that's 
turn that's come into the commercial real estate business now and i think that's we're seeing so much more kind of smart offices uh because of that yeah well, uh, that's, that's excellent. The use of technology can really make us all more efficient. And, and I've seen the same thing that you were talking about a moment ago, that uh, you know, people who have the synergy and the power of coming together and, and coming in the office uh, seem to be more productive and more excited about what they're doing when they, when they have that community around them and, and that support around them of people have with the, uh, similar ideas and thoughts and missions. So how are companies getting those employees or those, those those people that work for them, how are they drawing them into the office and wanting the, the employees wanting to be there? What is the draw? It's yeah, not just a food table, is it? Yeah, no, <laughs> it's definitely more than a foosball table. I think that's the that's that's our goal is, is to design a space that people are excited to show up to work every day. And it starts with the Vision Lab um, that I spoke about earlier and really trying for us as designers to understand deeply what that company's existing or aspirational culture is and then creating a space that responds and reflects that culture and supports it and augments it, even amplifies it. So without those early steps to, to get to the, the crux of, of that issue, um, I think the space uh, won't have the the qualities that it, it re is required to have in order to be that space that pe it draws people to it and 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 folks want to work there and come together and really uh, accomplish something as a group. Okay, so it really depends on the client and their culture of how they're getting people to come to the office. Maybe maybe and also, you know, what what these companies do, right? What industry they're in. Yeah. 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 Well, we, we, we do the same. We have a game room and, and we have a, a cafe and we have some cool aspects to our office and our furniture. And I've noticed what you're saying. It does get people wanting to be at the office. And when people come to, to work with us or, or as a, an employee or a broker or a client, they, they seem to come in and they get a feel of energy. Uh, and one of the things that we've used is a lot of plants and a lot, yep. of, a, a lot of flowers. <laughs> and I was surprised as, as a, as a I don't know, a man maybe, that, that the, how big the f difference the flowers make. I'm here in the office without them. I'm like, what's missing? Why don't I yeah. feel good? Is that, is that becoming more important? You see more yeah, of that? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that gets back to the idea that, uh, you know, we, we're, we're built for being in nature. So it's, it's, uh, it's not natural for us to be inside buildings. So using natural elements, whether they be green walls or, or plants throughout the space or, um, you know, natural wood or stone elements, things that are natural, uh, soft colors, natural colors throughout a space are, are other tools that we can use um, to help uh, create that sense of calm and, and uh, focus and comfort, really, um, that I think so many of our clients are, are constantly looking for um, that will help reinforce the goals that that um, will propel them forward. Good. Closing quick tip for the audience related to office space, Dave. What would you leave them with? I think listen to your employees. Uh, <laughs> as it, the, the, the corporate leaders, I think more and more are, are uh, understanding that, that the culture is something that is holistic and is, is uh, bottom up as well as top down. And, and once you 
kind of accept that and and everyone's voice is is uh somewhat equal when it comes to how what they need to in an office space to support how they work i think then everything tends to flow pretty easily that's a great tip and we we try to do that when we're representing tenants and sometimes we do get some pushback what do you mean you want to talk to these people without me there yeah because they might say something we can really yeah. Help you. Great tip. Dave, great information. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And keep reading all those books. You're doing a great <laughs> job, sir. I will. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for being with us around the world or around the U.S. We appreciate your thoughts. And hey, connect with us. We'd love for you to hear from you on, on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. You can find us under The Commercial Real Estate Show or Commercial Real Estate Show. We're also on Alexa and those type of devices. So uh, just tell Alexa, play podcast, The Commercial Real Estate Show. Thank you for being with us. Join us next week, and until then, be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Invest alongside real estate experts, sponsors who have a successful track record and skin in the game. It's as easy as one, two, three. Learn about the deals, make your investment, and grow your financial wealth. Visit ArborCrowd.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Promote your business to the U.S. commercial real estate industry. Click advertise at the show website, CREshow.com.